Welcome to Voices, Then and Now, a Dana-Farber Cancer Institute podcast that features first-hand experiences from Dana-Farber patients. In this episode, we'll hear Catherine Goff recount her experience being diagnosed at 21 and 54 and catch up with her to see how she's doing today. I spent most of my senior year of college in headscarves. Luckily, it was the 70s and I fit right in. But when I took my headscarves off, there was no hiding the hair loss and cancer that set me apart from my peers. Toward the end of my junior year at Wheelock College in Boston, I'd started experiencing uncharacteristic tiredness, got one cold after another, had terrible back pain and itching on and off. Odd symptoms that my roommates and I generally laughed off being healthy college kids. On one particularly introspective night though, it hit me, this isn't normal. Something is seriously wrong. I had been healthy, active, and athletic, and now I was having back pain so bad I couldn't move. In May, after a coughing fit that wouldn't stop, my roommates insisted I go to the infirmary. I wouldn't be back at school that year. The doctors thought I had pneumonia and sent me to Boston Children's where a string of specialists came in administering a huge battery of tests. I finally asked one of the doctors why everyone was so interested in something as simple as pneumonia, considering I was at a teaching hospital and I knew there were a lot more interesting things out there. You don't have pneumonia, he said. You have a tumor the size of a grapefruit in your chest. I was 21 at the time, excited from the life ahead of me, which had included classes, student teaching, and spending time with my friends. Now, I was stuck in a hospital room with a two-year-old roommate for the entire month of May. School and my plans had to be put on hold. Three courses of radiation to treat my Hodgkin's lymphoma lasted into September. Physically, it was hard. My skin was burned from the radiation, and radiation to my stomach caused severe nausea. Emotionally, it was even worse. My family was on Martha's Vineyard, my mom caring for my younger siblings, and unable to leave to take care of me. So I ended up driving myself to and from treatments, and at one point so sick that my team wanted to stop the therapy. I literally had to beg them to continue. I felt like my life depended on it, and it did. I was unsure during treatment how much to plan for the future. Did I even have a future? Should I be looking for jobs after college or making a bucket list instead? Ultimately, I decided that I didn't want to live like I had cancer. So I started looking for jobs, and once my treatment ended, started teaching again. Once I was back in the non-cancer world, I wanted to put cancer in the corner, where I thought it belonged. Sometimes, though, it would creep back into my life, but I worked hard to keep it out of the limelight. Cancer was terrifying back then, and few people spoke openly about their experiences, so I, too, kept most of my worries and fears to myself. I almost felt branded with a red C for having cancer, which is very different than the way it is today. But five years after treatment, when Hodgkin's patients are generally considered out of the woods, I was successfully teaching, newly married, and considered having a family. Having kids wasn't something I'd focused on during treatment, and now we weren't sure if it would be possible because of all the radiation. Luckily, it was. The minute I held Emily in my arms, I was in awe. Just one look from her would send me to the moon. I felt and still feel an incredible, overwhelming love and appreciation for her and the other four children I went on to have, Amber, Haley, Ben, and Noah. I know all parents are in awe of their children, but after having such an uncertain time and not knowing if I would see tomorrow, let alone have kids, 
as trite as it sounds, I could have written poems about it. Happiness was at an entirely new level after cancer. The joy at everything my kids did was just indescribable. The incredible connection and closeness I had with my children is part of what's made growing older so hard. My treatment at 21 caused at first small health complications, but then the issues got larger and more complex. I was seen at Dana-Farber's survivorship clinic yearly after my Hodgkin's treatment. And as time went on and there were more survivors, they became aware of what could happen to those of us who had had such intense radiation all those years ago. One of the things I was told I was at a higher risk for was breast cancer. And I started having mammograms and chest MRIs annually. Like every woman, I would get nervous the night before these tests, wondering, is today going to be the day? Well, one day in 2009, it was. I found out in October 2009, after my mammogram and MRI, that I had a tumor in my breast, thankfully called early. Even though I knew I would likely get breast cancer at some point because of my earlier treatment, I was still in absolute disbelief. I walked out of Dana-Farber and I couldn't even remember which way to turn to get my car. My world was completely changed. All I could think about on the ride home was, now I have to tell my kids. Placing a heavy weight like cancer on people you love is not easy to do. I felt as though I was putting a burden on them, the burden of having to watch their mom be sick. Where I'd been so isolated in my first diagnosis, now there were so many other people to consider. I told my three college-aged daughters first. There were tears and hugging and sadness, but you know, within a half hour, the sad mood turned into action. Okay, you're gonna have a mastectomy, and by spring, we're, we're gonna find one of those breast cancer walks, and we're all walking. And that's what happened. I had my bilateral mastectomy on December 1st, 2009. I'd wanted to have reconstruction because I didn't wanna wake up every morning and be reminded that I had breast cancer. Because of the radiation I'd had to my chest when I was younger, I knew it would be more difficult, but not impossible. We decided the best approach would be doing the reconstruction at the same time as the mastectomy to minimize recovery time. Well, I woke up and realized I didn't have breasts. They hadn't been able to safely complete the reconstruction, which should have been okay with me because the tumor was gone, but it was a bigger disappointment than I ever thought it would be. I thought I would wake up feeling whole, but once you have the unwelcome visitor of cancer, you never quite feel whole again. I spent about a month grieving the loss of my breasts because it really was a loss. One day, I came into Dana-Farber, sat amongst dozens of women with breast cancer, and went in and was told I was cancer-free once more. When I came out, I said to my friend, I'm over it. I don't want to spend another moment thinking about how I don't have boobs. Seeing other patients, some of whom might die because of their disease, really put things into perspective. That April, I did my first Avon walk, surrounded by my family. Recovering from my surgery just four months prior had been difficult and slow going. I could barely walk two miles on the treadmill and was starting to regret signing up for a whole 39. I told my kids we might need to lower our expectations and that I'd take it one checkpoint to the next. But when the first day of the walk came, I think I surprised us all. I walked 13 miles that first day. And uh, quite literally could not have done it without my kids and friends surrounding me. You know, it lifted my heart for them to see how much they truly keep me going. 
Aside from breast cancer, my original treatment has created other bumps in my life, including two serious heart surgeries. But you know, when I look back, I have so much more to be thankful for than truly anyone I know. I truly appreciate each day I have, and I'm able to brush off the little things that might be big or bad to other people. I know just how big and bad it can get, and those things aren't important anymore. What is important is that I'm here, I'm alive, and I'm living every moment. That was Katherine Goff sharing her experience being diagnosed with Hodgkin lymphoma during college and the health issues that followed, including a breast cancer diagnosis in 2009. She's now joined by her daughter Haley and Haley's six-month-old son to talk about the role cancer has played in both of their lives, how Katherine is doing, and what advice she has for other patients. Mom, thanks so much for sharing all of that with us. You've definitely been through a lot. I can't imagine having cancer in college. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I when I think back on it, it is it was what it was for me. That was my experience. But when seeing you guys, trying to imagine what it would have been like if one of you had gotten cancer in college, I it makes me it's funny, it brings up a lot of things. It makes me sort of worried and scared. I'm just glad times have changed as far as how cancer is perceived these days, that there's so many more support services available. What I see now, I wish I had had available to me at the time. I think it would have made a real difference. And I guess the one thing I would say to patients, young patients especially, is take advantage of them. Well, Mom, I know growing up you were, you were really open with us about your Hodgkin experience. Did you ever consider not telling us? What made you decide to be so open with us? <laughs> and that's Miguel. <laughs> you know, I think that I, I wasn't gonna just gratuitously tell you, oh, I had cancer. I think the issue of me having had cancer when I was young came up when I would all of a sudden have a whole spate of doctor's appointments or something would, um, there would have been some medical blip in the road. And I sort of needed to give it context for you guys because the other mothers weren't having that issue. But it wasn't really to bring it up just to talk about the cancer. I remember when you first told us about your breast cancer diagnosis. I, it was right after I had graduated from college and I remember being at work that day knowing you were going to an appointment where you were going to hear about some results and calling you anxiously awaiting what the results had been and you sharing with me that you did indeed have breast cancer and apologizing for for having cancer again and of course feeling my own sadness and my own worry but also wanting to make sure that you were okay and that you weren't feeling sad and scared. Did the five of us react the way that you thought we would react? Yes, and also you never ceased to amaze me. I knew it was, it was hard news for me to deliver, so I knew it was gonna be hard news for you guys to receive. You'd, we'd been through a lot, and this was just ugh, not again, sort of. What was so wonderful for me was 
yes, it was sad, and it was like, I disbelief, can't believe we're, we're having to now walk this journey. But what was wonderful was the way we really very quickly turned it around. I mean, you can get swallowed up by sadness and stress, and I think that isn't who we are. And it was just so much easier to jump onto the bandwagon of, all right, this is, we have to do this, we'll do this, and then let's think about the next step. And it was a positive next step. And that was wonderful for me. It made all the difference in the world for me. Your guys' attitude and your just positive forward momentum. What was that first walk like for you? After you shared with us what that you had been diagnosed with breast cancer, it felt like one more thing that you had been hit with, and in turn, our family had been hit with. One more thing that was out of our control. So one of the things that we decided to do was turn that around and do a walk to raise money for breast cancer. And it was something that just felt like a tangible thing that we knew we could do. We could raise funds, we could help support other families, other, other women and men going through what our family was going through. The first time that we did the walk was that spring, not too many months after we'd been diagnosed. And we were around other families who had been going through it, other families who were going through it, and other families who unfortunately weren't so lucky and didn't have their moms right next to them. And it was, you know, it was really therapeutic for us, but it was also an empowering, I guess an empowering weekend for us to really realize that we could take some control over a situation that really felt overwhelming. I think about moving forward in the future and weekends like that in the future and now having my own, my own son, <laughs> Miguel, to participate. And I imagine what that weekend would be like, what a walk like that would be like without, without you there. And um, obviously I'm always so grateful that I have my mom, but when I became a mom myself, I was that much more grateful because I can't imagine being a mom without, without mine there beside me and without Miguel getting to know his awesome grandmother. Well, as you know, because I tell you every day, <laughs> not only you guys, you five, but having now three grandchildren, Miguel being number three, are beyond joy for me, just beyond joy. And one of the things that's so important to me is that I am around and am a presence in his life and enough of a presence that I will always, he will have a memory of me and just uh, uh, some wonderful stories to tell about me and that I'm just a familiar face every day in his little life and getting to watch him grow up and watching you be a mother and you are an incredible mother and I tell you that too because I mean that. It's a whole different level of happiness and joy and I wake up every morning just so happy. It's truly, that is, sounds so corny, but <laughs> it is so true. I mean, what's not to be happy about? <laughs> so thank you. 
You've been through so much at this point. Hodgkin breast cancer and a thyroid cancer a few years ago as well. But you're still so positive and you're such a light for our entire family. And your attitude and the way that you look at things and the way you just keep on going truly sets the tone for all of us and the way that we all look at, at the world and at each day. How do you keep such a great attitude all the time through all of this? You guys <laughs> are probably the biggest drivers for me. But I, I feel like, and I know I've said this before, I actually feel so lucky because when you look around you, to be perfectly honest, everybody has something that they're going through. Nobody's life is perfect. Things like cancer and medical issues are somewhat more visible and um, you get a different kind of support for some of those things. It also just makes me appreciate and recognize how very, very precious life is. And the little things really don't matter. In some ways, you know, you can, little annoyances come up, but if I catch myself, I, I, you, you just have to laugh because in the scheme of things, they are so minor. And I am so happy that I don't have to get bogged down in minor crap <laughs> because there's a lot bigger things to worry about and a lot bigger things to appreciate. And you kids have been so wonderful and such a positive influence and energy for me. When I need support and I'm going through something, you care for me and you support me. However, you don't make me feel my identity is a sick person or somebody who needs to be sick and cared for. And that's really a gift for me, that I can be cared for, but I can still be me and somebody beyond just a cancer patient. Thank you. If I were to speak to another young person who's watching her parent go through a serious illness like cancer, I would say that's a big, a big piece of it, is remembering that person is still your parent. One of the things that our philosophy has been is sometimes you might need something as simple as a glass of orange juice or your head to be tickled or a foot rub or a nice pair of socks but a lot of times it's just laughing laughing about the crazy nurse that came in or if it's laughing about a roommate or laughing <laughs> at trying to make the most of, of anything any happy moment or any silly thing that could be going on. That's really been, it sounds a little cliche, but it's really been the best thing for our family is laughter and happiness and remembering that our attitude really does shape the experience. So I'd say find, find those funny little things. Yeah, and thanks for letting me still be me, even when you're taking care of me. I still feel like your mom and that's been really really important. Thank you for listening to Voices, Then and Now, a Dana-Farber Cancer Institute podcast. For more episodes of Voices and to learn more about other Dana-Farber podcasts, visit danafarber.org slash podcasts. <laughs>